Well, they wrote it in kind of ambiguous, in, in the way that a lot of uh, Christian alternative bands, mm. I will say, kind of write ambiguously so that it is Christian, but like it can slide across genres. Yeah. It's like Baby she, Baby by Amy Grant. <laughs> it's about Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, the most famous baby of all. <laughs> I want you to write a Christmas song called Baby Baby, the most famous baby of all. And it's like, Jesus. <laughs> Hi, I'm Jason Marcos. And I'm Barry Hamaguchi. This is Flop Redeemer, the weekly podcast where we discuss the stories behind our favorite pop flops and why you should give these songs a second chance. This week, I'm talking about Diana Gordon and why even though you think you don't know her, sorry, you absolutely do. Short and sweet. I like yeah. it. <laughs> um, What's happening? Let me just, uh, you know, oh my God. Okay. I fell down the stairs yesterday. Oh, Jesus. Like... A nightmare, like like fully a nightmare. I I had I bought these new socks, and you know I I have I have socks that have grippers. These did not have the grippers, and I was looking for. I wear indoor sandals, you know, mm-hmm. just because I need because I'm old and I need arch support. Mm, house um, slippers, absolutely essential. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they have these like the even you know the rubber Birkenstocks. Okay, yeah, yes. those. Uh-huh. And um, they're so comfortable. I can wear them all day, and. I couldn't find them and I thought maybe they were downstairs. So I start going down the stairs. Um and like before I knew what was happening, I was like on my butt and I I was holding onto the rail. I have wooden stairs. So mm-hmm. it's yeah, you know, they're very slick. And it was crazy. Like I I couldn't stop myself. Like luckily I you know, the the holding onto the rail, I didn't like my head didn't go back. I didn't land on my tailbone or anything. I landed directly on like the fattest part of my ass, which <laughs> thank God, um, knocked the wind out of me. But w- momentum is a bitch. <laughs> Especially when you're, you know, heavy. <laughs> so wait, did you did you slide down? On your butt all the way down the yes. stairs? Okay. Yes. Almost a full flight of stairs. Like I okay. could not like, like it was like the momentum was just like, that's and, like and poor the Adam. best. That's like one of the better case scenarios. So like yes. growing up in San Francisco, um, we had a, we lived in like a flat in San Francisco. So there was a lot of stairs. Oh, mm-hmm. you've been, you've been at my parents' house in San Francisco. Yeah. So lots of stairs. Um, The stairs, once you get into the house that go up to like, the first floor of the house basically mm-hmm. is is a semicircle, like it curves, right? It takes a oh, full like curve. A spiral? Kind of. It just comes mm-hmm. down in one direction. It makes a full turn at a landing and then mm-hmm. continues down. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, when I was a kid, the very first time that I had a play date with like this kid that was my my best friend throughout like most of elementary school and middle school kind of like we were always mm-hmm. like really good family friends and then we were kind of like you know best friends when we were little kids yeah um first time he ever came to my house had a play date um his mom came at the end of the evening to like pick him up and she had also never been to our house at that point and she came up the stairs and then me and my friend, we were both talking and like saying goodbye. And we started walking all walk. Sorry, hit my mic. Mm-hmm. We all started walking down the stairs together. And his mom did not know what was happening with the stair situation. Oh. And 
I actually don't remember this happening at all. People tell me that this happened, that it was scary. But mm-hmm. we full she fell and then we fully tumbled like head over he, head over feet, like all the way down the stairs. Because you were all together. Yeah. Like in a oh, in a, like a katamari damasi ball. Oh my god. Um and that's wild to that's think terrifying. about because I think it's hard to conceive of my head flipping over so mm-hmm. that I'm basically somersaulting down the stairs. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. I think it's actually, in, in in my recollection, it's actually more likely that we fell onto our sides and then rolled sideways down the stairs. But not yeah. only that, we rolled sideways all the way down the stairs around the bend to land all the way at the bottom, the, oh the bottom most landing. So we rolled down... 12 steps made a hard 180 degree turn around a landing and kept rolling mm. for an additional like four wow. or five steps. Wow. Um, but yeah, be, be careful. That's why I, I know I'm, it's yeah. Living in LA for so long, I've gotten so used to just the sprawl and the flatness, but like in San Francisco, like everything was steps. And mm-hmm. um, also in my parents' house, because it's a flat there was once you get inside up that first flight of stairs there's a second flight of stairs that goes up into that second floor of the flat basically right so it's stairs stairs on the outside stairs on the inside and then a second set of stairs on the inside that set of stairs on the inside is incredibly steep and i never thought Mm. about how bad this was as a kid but at the base of the stairs is a window Oh man, you could a have window, just flown a, right out the window. A, a full like floor to ceiling window. Wow. So like, yeah, if you had taken even a little slip off those stairs, like you would have just flown straight out the window, which then was two stories up over like the exterior stairway of our house. Um, Jeez. How did kids not all die in the eighties? It's 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 wild. Why are we alive? It's, I I don't so know. Many I mean, like, opportunities to die. And the thing is, I don't think I've ever fallen down the stairs before. And oh, I did all the, the time. Uh, <laughs> the butt slide is why it, the butt slide is seriously your best case. No, I I look. Trust me, uh, I am fully aware. Um, and <laughs> I asked Adam later. I was like, "Did it make a lot of noise?" <laughs> he, was like, <laughs> he was like, "Oh yeah." <laughs> um. But like you can't stop yourself either. Like you, you know, you watch videos or whatever, and, and you know sometimes people falling those stairs. Yeah, know, like when they have like hilar- like comedy falls or whatever, and you're like, oh, why couldn't you just like stop yourself? And, and it's like, oh no, like I was holding on to the railing yeah. fully on my butt and like could not stop myself from sliding all the way down. Like you know what I mean? Like you just can't. I think that when it's happening to you, it all happens very fast. I think when you're uh-huh. an outsider seeing it happen, it almost happens. In slow motion. Well, not in slow motion, but you you realize it's it doesn't look like you're going that far. Yeah, yeah. But like when it's happening to you, you really the world is just whizzing by your face, and you don't know you don't know what's <laughs> which way is up. <laughs> yeah, I think that's yeah. part of the problem is like when you're grabbing at things and you're falling downstairs, you might not be stopping yourself in the right direction if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's like it's like they say like when if you're in a plane crash, right? <laughs> Here we go. This is all uplifting. <laughs> um, if you, so we're here for. If you're in a plane crash, it can be incredibly disorienting, right? Like especially mm. like when they were talking about like if if the plane 
hits the water. And I forget what horrible thing I was watching or reading to get to this scenario that is now nightmare fuel for me. But if the if a plane goes down in the water and you survive like the initial impact, right? Mm-hmm. And you're trying to unbuckle your seat belt mm-hmm. so that you can, you know, get out of the plane. You don't know which way is up. You don't know mm. which way is down because you literally just fell from the sky. The plane could be upside down in the water. It could be, you know, and it's yeah. like, where do you, like, it's just the, a horrifying sequence of events. And 100% so. why I have to be completely blotto before I get on a plane. <laughs> 100% blotto. If I'm just going to, if I'm going to be in a plane crash, I'm just going to be unconscious and die because. But you know, you know what sucks though, is that like, there are very few, unless you're traveling internationally, because I feel you on that. I mean, I love flying, but like, I also like, getting drunk before plane uh before flight but there are very few flights that are long enough that you can like sleep off the drunk and then arrive refreshed at your destination totally doesn't matter to me i'll take i'll get to the airport early like if it's a say it's a a flight we haven't flown to san francisco because i always drive from la to san francisco so the shortest Uh flight we would take is like la to portland yeah um it's like an hour it's an hour flight. You can get to the airport an hour early and have yeah. two Bloody Marys. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Be completely drunk, passed out drunk on the plane, and stumble drunk, conscious drunk, yeah. off of the flight. Yeah. And just be one drunk time, for the rest of the day. It's fine. One t- <laughs> so I was... <laughs> um, one time, Adam and I, when we were flying back from Hawaii, which is a famously long flight. I mean, as far as domestic flights go, it's six mm-hmm. hours. Um, we got there early because, you know, we had anticipated more traffic and stuff and you know how that happens. You get there sometimes you're, it's so early and you're like, well, guess we're going to go to the bar. And I found a picture of the receipt actually a couple weeks ago. It was, okay. I, I was looking for some kind of memory in my phone and we each, I think had three or four double whiskeys at the bar before. And nice. I mean, yeah, I slept, but then, then, you know, you get to LA and you're like, mm, well, I guess, I mean, I took a little bit of a nap, but it's like, <laughs> well, now I got to like get through, like get out of the airport first yeah. of all, and then, you know, do all of that. But I think anyway, yeah. Yeah. No, because I, I was just going to say that there was one time I took a work trip. This is probably not a great story. I took a work trip to New York um, <laughs> several years ago, and um we had to get to New York pretty early in the afternoon. So we took like a 6 a.m. flight out of LAX. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got to the airport at like 5, 530. Okay. I went straight to the bar, had two Bloody Marys before my flight to New York, my work flight to New York, got mm-hmm. on the plane, ordered a glass of wine. <laughs> You're like, it's the morning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I think it's all before <laughs> six in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> I had two cocktails and a, and a glass of wine. It was a glorious flight. I got off that plane, met met up with my bosses, and I was like, I'm totally fucked up right now. And it's only like... <laughs> At that time, you land in New York, and it's like... I think it's like 9 or 10 in the morning. Yeah, yeah. One time I, I, I did um, have... So I, a friend of mine is a flight attendant, and um, I had flown with her to Hawaii and you know I flew a morning flight and out of LA and the nice thing about flying 
west is that when you get there, it's earlier, almost earlier than when you left, or mm-hmm. you know, you gained some hours. You've traveled right? back in time; it's a miracle. Yeah. So, so what happens is when I fly to Hawaii, it's like we always plan to do stuff during the day because I've gained essentially three hours in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, but because my friend was a flight attendant and we were flying on her the airline that she works for, she She's hooking it up on the plane. Yeah. So we got hooked up. I was very drunk. And I get to the airport. My mom picks me up and I'm like, I am so drunk. Also, my mom famously, when, and, and mom, I know you're listening <laughs> and you're, you may be listening in your car, in, in which case it's like my mom likes to keep the air conditioning in the car at like 85 degrees. She sets it to 80, 82 or 85. So it's right? just like air. It's not even because conditioned. Because she doesn't like humidity, but she doesn't oh. want to be cool. So she just takes the humidity out and is... Okay, when you're drunk, you've just come off a six-hour flight. You land in Hawaii. The last thing you want to do is sit in an 85-degree car, um, <laughs> you know, with that blowing 85-degree air at your face. But, um, you know, I got home. I straight up just passed out. Yeah, so those those it's hours those hours that I had gained, I felt bad because she had like taken the day off, so we could like do stuff. <laughs> take Sorry, a nap. mom. Yeah. Take a nap. So. Anyway, um, that took a dark turn. I don't know it, how we got here. Um, uh, we're talking about someone today whose career has uh, crash landed, possibly. <laughs> Look, water no. landing, water <laughs> landing. It's no, certainly she's just it certainly is not where we all thought she would be at this point in her life. Uh, well, and 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 you know, there's reasons for that, as we as we know, and and uh, the definition of quote unquote success uh, may you know, vary by person. Yeah, we're talking about when, when no Diana Gordon. Diana Gordon. I think yes. she liked one of my tweets once. Did she? What did you write? It was about. It was just about how I was enjoying her music, and I was like, why don't we ever hear her music? It's so good. Well. We'll talk about it. Okay. It was the uh, the with music I die. With music I die era? Yeah. I tweeted about And it was funny because she liked it or her possibly boyfriend at the time liked it. Like I got like as a, as a private citizen with a Twitter account, like when someone likes your tweet, you're like, what did I do? It's yeah. very strange when someone likes it. Well, especially when it, when, when someone who you've tweeted at, who is much more famous mm-hmm, than mm-hmm. you. Uh, like just it, just which, a, just a little bit more famous than me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Barry. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, well, um, when we come back, when we come back, we will talk about Diana Gordon. And we're back. So today, I'm going to talk about Diana Gordon. You might be thinking, who? But trust me, you know her, or at least tangentially aware of her influence. And uh, her musical journey is like a really fascinating and rewarding dive into the way that serendipity, (laughs) perseverance, self-love, and talent all intersect and overlap in surprising ways. This is Uh, like a tapestry you're weaving. This is great. I mean, it's... I had a great time because this all started when Barry was like, whatever happened to Winter Gordon? And you may be wondering, did I say Winter Gordon? I thought we're talking about Diana Gordon. Well, they are one in the same, listener. They are one in the same. Um, Winter Gordon was the name that uh, Diana Gordon was releasing music with um, at the last half of the 2010s. Or no, 2000s. Because mm. it would have been 2009, 2010. Winter Gordon was her stage name. She was very popular. Well, she had a couple of really popular songs. Um, 
And so let's just get into it. Um, I feel like gay people know her songs. Well, and also people, well, people who are going out too. I mean, I guess gay people for sure. I mean, I didn't really know that many straight people who were going out to like bars and stuff, but like at the time, because uh, I just didn't socialize with them. I, I remember like her songs would get like rotation when um, when the Logo TV network used to play music videos between between programs. Oh, interesting. There would often be uh, uh, a Winter Gordon song. Kind of makes like, sense. Oh, I can, I can okay. see that. I can see that. Anyway. So, so Winter Gordon, real name Diana Gordon, she's from New York. She went to LaGuardia Performing Arts High School. And, you know, if you're not familiar with, it's that very famous high school uh, with famous alum like Eartha Kitt, Nicki Minaj, Khalees, Liza Minnelli went there, Jackie Harry, um, Aquafina, Ben Vereen. Is that the and, fame um, high school? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, surprisingly, Susan Stamberg. Are you familiar with Susan Stamberg from NPR? She's the one who every Thanksgiving you would read that like cranberry relish recipe. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. I, I, the name sounds very <laughs> yeah. familiar, but I, I, I'm not not that familiar with Grand her Dame oeuvre. of Public Radio. Okay. Um, and uh, so she went there, which I thought was interesting. Um, so she she'd been kind of you know she she'd wanted to be a musician, wanted to be a singer for a very long time. It's basically, since the time she was thirteen, she was writing music, and um, one of her jobs was you know when she was kind of out of high school and starting out on her own. One of her jobs was working the coat check at this club in New York. That it was this tiny club, but it was right next to this strip club. And Mary J. Blige and Eve would go to the strip club a lot back in the day. And mm-hmm. the owner of the club that she worked at would produce the after parties for them next door at the strip club. So one day he handed Mary J. Blige Winter or Diana Gordon's CD. She had like a demo CD. Mm-hmm. And Mary J. actually really liked one of the songs on the track. On on the on that um, CD and picked it up for her 2005 album, um, The Breakthrough, uh, and so the song was called "Gonna Breakthrough." It's the first track on that album. I listened to it again this week because you know we've talked we talked about Mary J a while back on the playlist. We talked about um, mm-hmm. the breakthrough. Be without you is is probably the the biggest the biggest known hit from that. She won Grammy. It was a very well received album. Um, Gonna break through is actually a pretty good song. I was listening to it now and I was like, oh, I forgot about this song, but I liked it. It's um definitely an album track, but it it was, it was well produced. It's it's interesting because if as Barry mentioned, like you know our first interaction that we knew of with Winter Gordon was as like a dance performer dance dance track performer so it wouldn't really have you wouldn't really have realized that she wrote kind of a traditional r&b song for mary j blige it, mm-hmm. it just wasn't part of her image and and through this the success of this track and sort of proving her bona fides as a as a as a writer she was able to get a record deal with atlantic records and i say record deal it's kind of unclear it's like it's both a it was a deal with Atlantic Records. I'm not mm-hmm. exactly sure. She was um, contracted. She she wrote songs for other artists. She also provided vocals for other artists. And this is also where the name Winter comes from. W-Y-N-T-E-R. She didn't feel comfortable at the time really performing under her own name. Mm. She just felt like it was too personal and just... I get I don't it. Know, she, she just didn't want to do it. Every time we say our full names on this podcast, I'm just terrified that we're going to be doxxed. 
My name is on a deed to a house. Don't look for it. <laughs> okay. Um, Should we bleep that out? <laughs> yeah, no, don't do it. It's fine. No one cares. No one. Although so, we have gotten an influx of new listeners. So where, however you're listening to us, wherever you're listening to us, we love you. Um, oh, I had a question about that because I always wondered if there is a strategy or tactic in the record industry to quote unquote sign someone for their songwriting under the guise of, yes, someday you'll be able to record your own music, but right now we're just developing you. So we'd like you to write some songs because we recognize yours. Like um, we talked about like Ashanti started out that way. Christine mm-hmm. Milian started out the way Carrie Hilson, you know, like all of these artists, they kind of got quote unquote signed mm-hmm. and it felt like they were, they waited for a long time for the promise of, having a quote unquote record deal to come through for them. And in the meantime, it was like giving away songs to all these bigger artists. This is one of the conversations I want to have. It's sort of like, these are recurring themes that come up in their flop redeemer podcast. You know, when you say giving away songs to other more established artists and things, when Diana Gordon talks about this time in her life, the success of gonna break through of, you know, of being able to write that song for Mary J enabled her her dream at that point was just to work in music and to perfect her art. Right. She didn't really know what she wanted to do. She just knew that she didn't want to be working three jobs. Right. Like she was coat check. She was a waitress. She, she worked at Bally total fitness, you know, like she was, she was doing all of these things. The monetary success of writing that song, while not like, I mean, not, not enough to like sustain her forever, enabled her to quit those jobs. And she Mm -hmm. was able to fully focus on writing. So from her standpoint, with the label, it wasn't just, it wasn't, I don't know if it was like an artist development deal. Mm-hmm. It was really, she did have a, she, it was like so that she could sing, provide vocals for other artists and also write tracks. And so she was getting paid. She was earning yeah. good money like doing this. So she actually enjoyed it. She, she realized, she, you know, she, she enjoyed doing it. And, and at the time um, she wrote, uh, she wrote a song for Danity Kane mm-hmm. from Welcome mm-hmm. to the Dollhouse, the two of you. Um, she was also writing songs for JLo. Um, they're not like huge singles, uh, that you would know, but like, you know, they were, re- I mean, this, this was, but they got her. released, right? They got released and, you know, they're, they're, you know, she's developing her art. She's kind of in, I don't want to say in demand, but like, she's, you know, for big artists, right? They're, yeah. they're choosing her songs to, to do, um, around this time. And I'm not exactly sure how it all came to be. But she ends up recording uh, as the featured vocal on the 2009 song Sugar by Florida. Um, it has that sample of I'm Blue, right? Mm-hmm. Or Blue. The Eiffel, was it Eiffel 65? Eiffel 65. Terrible yeah. song. Terrible song. How did, but we, like how did we ever? Instantly recognizable. Mm-hmm. Um, she does that and it becomes a huge hit. And this is the time when EDM is starting to go mainstream. We've talked about it with Usher and Kelly Rowland, you know, the David Guetta and Flo Rida of it all. Like, this is when it's starting to happen. She has this huge hit with um, Sugar. Yeah. Um, she also comes out with, she's also the vocalist on the song Toy Friend by David Guetta and Afrojack. And um, it's maybe not as well-known as sugar, but I remember this from back in the day. Um, it was kind of it was ubiquitous as well. 
Um, because of the success of her vocals on these songs, she ends up collaborating with a lot of other people, like big names in the EDM scene. So the Freemasons, Steve Aoki, Major Lazer, Tyga and Chris Brown at the time, which was, it, that's where you're starting to see that more of that like hip hop R&B EDM marriage, right? Mm-hmm. And so she's she's really big in this. And so, you know, Barry, when we were talking about you know, Winter Gordon is this dance music artist. It's because she was like the voice, the sound of dance music, some of the biggest hits in dance music at the time, um, right when it was blowing up. Because at the time, I think people forget EDM was much more of a niche thing, right? Like mm-hmm. EDM was very like, quote unquote, Euro trash. Like you'd hear some songs and you'd be like, what is this? Because like that that beat was just not mainstream. Like it, it needed... I. We can dive into this at some point, but like I think, was it David Guetta and um, I mean there was the there was the Kelly Rowland yeah <laughs> when I, love takes over of it all too to go into the flow writer of it all, mm-hmm. it's like I don't know what kind of credibility flow writer has, right? Mm-hmm. But he mm-hmm. was so incredibly popular, and I remember at the time that he was coming out with this sound, this very David Guetta electro Euro sound, thinking. Mm-hmm. This sounds like soft, for lack of a better term. I feel like it sounded very cheesy. It was like the kids' bop version of like what EDM. Yeah, is. but also I feel like with like rap music, we come in and out of like a respectability factor within rap mm-hmm. culture mm-hmm. that it, yeah. it, it kind of cycles through different a different ethos of like, is it okay? to mainstream rap music is it okay to appeal to the masses for a huge cash grab basically well right? and to make ed and to make rap specifically for edm in a dance club which i don't know was really happening yeah like i don't well, i don't remember anything like that i think about prior to that. i mean i i think about what happened to mc hammer mm. i think of flow rider as like kind of a modern day mc hammer in that <laughs> mc hammer you know he he lifted himself up, right? Like his famous kind of origin story is that he was in Oakland selling, you know, mixtapes of himself out of the trunk of his car before he got his deal. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But he gets, you know, this runaway success with, you can't touch this. He has this like kind of iconic, extravagant, flamboyant, way of dressing he kind of has you know he's he's the parachute pants guy and mm-hmm. you know yeah. um it wasn't hard it wasn't hard and then the further that he the further that he pursued that line of success with like the adams family song that he did and all the pepsi commercials that he did right like he's raking in like millions of dollars in licensing but the consequence of that is that he lost all credibility right because yeah. rap music was moving away from the idea of like cashing in on your success. Yeah. And yeah. so when it comes to like the the arrival of Flowrida, which to me is like it's kind of like music with very little value. <laughs> or no, you know what it is? Sorry. It's music that Flowrida himself brings very little to. Like it could be anything. It's it, it, it's it's the the best parts of any Flowrida songs are all the parts of it, all the components that are not Flowrida, in my opinion. I, yeah, 
Well, and, and you know, I guess you know we could dive into Florida later because yeah, I yeah. really know nothing about him. But it's I, like, I mean, I how much how much does he have in putting all of that together? Because like, if if honestly, like he's like, let's work with this person, let's put these together, yeah. and I'm going to wrap. You know, then it's like, oh, that's interesting because like you've created this sound that basically I mean, didn't exist for him to um, see the market for him to see the marketability of himself in that genre mm-hmm. in that mm-hmm. sound at that time. Like he really I, he he kind of pioneered that. Like he was the mm-hmm. face of that, that kind of music for all those years. And uh, let me tell you, it took me perhaps five, perhaps six years to realize that his name is Flo Rida and it's spelled Florida. I mean, I knew. Yeah. No, it, I, am I the only one? I knew I that. Yeah. I don't, it, I don't know. You or that it was see even... it when they put it up on the TV. It's like Florida. <laughs> With a dash in I it. guess I didn't think it was actually <laughs> Florida, but uh, I think yeah. his logo type is actually the state of Florida. Ugh. It is. The F in Florida is the state of Florida. I mean, hugely influential artist. Yes. Anyway. Let's just the, put it that just, way. Yeah. 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 And Winter so, Gordon gets her start. Winter Gordon is like doing it, right? Like, you know, she's... She's like, she's this this in-demand vocalist for this kind of thing. She's becoming hugely known for it. And she's got this voice. It's an interesting voice. Her voice is, um, it's very thin. It's strong. It's seemingly thin, right? Like it's, it's, it's strong. It's, I, th- I think she's doing kind of like, she brings a little bit of R&B, but it's very pop to mm-hmm. these EDM vocals, right? Uh, she's, she, she. I think she really helps with it. It cuts through the noise. Yeah. I think that in, okay. There's like a playfulness to her voice. I think that to, to put a negative slant on it, mm-hmm. she has kind of a demo singer voice. Hmm. To I, put it, to put it in a positive light, I think her voice is incredibly versatile. Mm-hmm. Cause it does have those different aspects where it's like, Sometimes it's a little bit nasally. Sometimes it's a little bit shrill. Sometimes it's like smooth. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's rough. Like she can do, she can, she's clearly talented and can do a lot of different things with her voice. It's just that at some points, and this is as someone who has always really, really liked her music, you know, it, it, it's hard to, it's hard to identify that as her voice all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think particularly, so this becomes, I mean, it's it's less of a that's less of a that's less of a thing as you get further down into like some of the things that she's released she released since yeah but certainly certainly at that time yeah I mean and maybe especially with the way the production is yeah I mean, it, 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 it kind of sands away the distinctions sometimes because right? I think that like you know in that she was getting her start with a lot of EDM producers I think that mm-hmm. um, EDM producers were traditionally working with these like very um not monotone but kind of monotone vocalists like very Mm. nondescript almost like Mm -hmm. you're just hiring someone who can sing and hold a tune well and it was kind of like you know in those movie soundtracks like like gladiator at the time Mm -hmm. and there's a woman and i forget her name she's very famous um i mean in, in this in like kind of classical vocal stuff she's 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 made a name for herself um but there's you know when you're watching a movie and there's like someone who's doing like a vocal solo and mm-hmm. it's kind of it sounds like they might be singing latin or singing something and it's just kind of like floating around and it's usually during a dramatic scene 
Um, and it's just because they need a voice, yeah. right? That like kind of is is intoning over things. Um, and and I think a lot of times with EDM, the vocal it was more for atmosphere than for like, yeah. Because I think even if like before David Guetta worked with Kelly Rowland or before Calvin Harris worked with Rihanna, like if you listen to a lot of their older EDM songs, like not older, but like from the year before they started working with more bombastic. Emotive or people who were known for their voices. Yeah, you would just get like it, a lot of them had. I feel like they were like Swedish people. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it was like it was European, definitely. Yeah. Maybe one name, and yeah, kind of. You know, it sounds terrible, but kind of disposable in a way. Like it was just, it could be, in, or maybe interchangeable. It was yeah, interchangeable. You know, it, was like whoever, it was also, yeah. I think, it was also in part meant to make the DJ the star. Yeah, it's like. He's the DJ is the mastermind. The vocalist is just a voice. You mm-hmm. don't need to really know who they are. And that's not important. But, you know, that, that kind of changes yeah. when we get into this 2009, 2010 sphere. Yeah. Yeah. So so like riding high on like, you know, all of all of this, you know, this this newfound visibility, really, not just for her songwriting, but actually for her performance. Um Winter releases the single Dirty Talk in 2010. Um, That hits the number one spot in the U.S. Hot Dance Club songs. She's incredibly popular in Australia. um, And it stayed at number one for three weeks before being pushed to number two by Rihanna's S&M. So if we Mm. want like a little bit of like what was going on, some like oral context, (laughs) musical Mm -hmm. context. It's interesting because it's like, huh, okay. Like, yeah, I remember this time, you know, um, Dirty Talk is a dance it's a dance song. It's very of the moment. Um it had a lot of like dirty kind of cheeky lyrics. Um and when when Diana was talking about it later, she they said it was kind of a joke. Um because she didn't have any she wasn't she wasn't sexy. She wasn't sexual. It was she it, she had no experience with sex really. And so she and her friend producer just like looked up a bunch of phrases online and just like <laughs> dropped them in as a joke and then they ended up running with it um and and but it ends it's a fun song dirty talk is a really fun song um it was you know if you look online it's it's still one of her it's still like her most stream song really yeah um it's, it's very, very popular. like um, it stayed popular i think this is one of the songs that i heard on logo tv Mm-hmm. It's very much in the promo for the rerun of Queer as Folk, you know. Well, and this is this is an example of, you know, what being a major label artist will do, right? So she'd had success writing songs for other successful artists. So that gives her some, you know, maybe not clout, but like, I don't want to say clout because it, it becomes sometimes like the artists don't actually have a lot of say in the direction of their career, Mm -hmm. but it means that the art that the label is invested or more invested in sort of like making you a commercial success. Right. So then, you know, she gets put on higher profile and more high profile, like dance tracks. And then when she comes out with this, with this uh, album, you know, there's the licensing, there's the logo, you know, it appears on logo. There's all the promo and stuff that goes with it that, you know, is really only because she's a label artist and they have mm-hmm. those connections and they have the budget to do that. So the album, so the, the song comes out in 2010. Um, it's very popular. The album with the music I die is released in 2011 with a couple follow-up singles uh, till death 
and By My Love, which were fun songs. Uh, you know, I remember when this album came out, I remember all the promo. She was doing uh, like club dates and things. Um, they're fun. They weren't as chart topping as Dirty as Dirty Talk. Um, it, my favorite, my favorite track on this album. So it was an it was a full album in Australia because, like I said, she was really popular in Australia. Um, it was released as an EP by Atlantic in the U.S. Mm-hmm. and so it's a little bit shorter. Although, well, I remember at the time when it was released, it was shorter. But now that it's on, everything's been the world is flat now. And uh, you know, on Spotify, when you look it up, you get all these other songs which didn't exist. Mm-hmm. you know, for U.S. audiences back in the day. But my favorite track is a song called Still Getting Younger. Um, it was the fourth and final single from this. It did not chart. I mean, I think it hit, you know, whereas Dirty Talk hit number one, I think this one hit like number 24. On the but dance it, charts. It, it's, yeah, on the dance charts. So, you know, but I mean, that's where she was getting her success. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, but you just need of, like, you yeah. just need like five DJs in like, two major metropolitan areas to play your song once and you're probably number one on the dance charts. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, you still get paid. So, (laughs) you know, but she was, so it's, it's like an eighties synth pop song. Mm -hmm. It's, it's got all of the hallmarks of a song that I like, you know, like as even as, especially as a dance song, it's kind of dreamy. There's lots of layers to it. Um, I always describe music that I like, um, sort of, with the sensation that um, it's it's swirling around me and I'm being lifted up by this music, like yeah. it, you know, it's like <laughs> it's <laughs> that's how I feel. And I I just remember I loved still getting younger um, when it came out. That song was actually so it was produced by Nick Littlemore and Peter Mays of Pinau, Pinau. I don't know how to pronounce it. P N A U. Okay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, they're an Australian electro dance duo, also very popular. But Nick Littlemore is also one half of Empire of the Sun. And if you remember mm-hmm. Empire of the Sun, they were the, you know, they had just come out with a song at the time, Walking on a Dream, which was unescapable and was everywhere. Um, they were known for their big sort of um, stage productions and huge headdresses and all these things. Um, you can get a sense of that, like that sort of um, influence in the song, mm-hmm. Still Getting Younger. It has that sort of epic high it, concept. It's funny too, because it's vibe. like, I can hear the connection. It just sounds so different because of her voice. Her voice I, really I takes like it to this. a very different place. Yeah, I, I much prefer what she's doing over what Empire of the Sun did. Yeah. And and you know what's funny is, you know, you talked about how her voice can sound different in different things. I prefer her voice on this song to any of the vocal production on any of the other singles from the album. So even mm-hmm. including Dirty Talk. Um it's it, like it's so high. Her voice is so high, and she can sing it like at full volume at that height. You know, you know yeah. at, at that at that at that level, and still sound kind of dreamy. Still sound sort of like effort, effervescent. I don't know that maybe not effervescent, but it's just it's just a really fun song. Um, it definitely it, strikes, it feels nostalgic. Yeah, it definitely feels like okay. I, I don't know how to say this without it sounding like shady, but it sounds like she's definitely singing on this song Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because what I think about her previous work with like dirty talk, I think that there's a little bit of like a Rihanna-ness to dirty Mm -hmm. talk in Mm -hmm. the way that Rihanna doesn't sing. Like in Rihanna's, in Rihanna's best songs, she's just kind of bleeding and like honking. (laughs) 
<laughs> and I think that that's, but I think that that's what pop music and R&B music was headed towards was that Rihanna type of punctuated vocal without a lot of, without a lot of melodic singing. Like melodic you know, singing yeah, was something we really left that. behind in the eighties and early nineties. And mm-hmm. then it kind of comes and goes with pop mu- like pop music, especially in the nineties. But I feel like as we were heading into the mid 2000s, 2000, 2005, 2006, 2007, you know, we've talked about some terrible singles like Maya's 2007 single Raiden or any of the shit singles that Sierra came out with in 2007. We were moving away from like pure melodies, just like, I, I don't know. I mean, well, you, you know, what's in, no, I, I, I see exactly what you mean. <coughs> I was going to say what's really interesting. And I didn't really think about it until you mentioned it is what we're seeing, what you're hearing, what you're describing in that moment, specifically in the early 2010s, this is before sort of kind of, I mean, it's basically they're rapping now, right? Cause like you listen to any Beyonce song and it's essentially rap, right? Like she's yeah. rapping most of her lyrics, like to your point about, about it not being melodic. It's not like, it's not it's like a lot a of, it's a lot she's of not um, singing it. What's it called? The verses, for example, are syncopated. It's a lot of like chromatic scale times, kinds of like little steps up and down. Well, it's melodic rapping, I guess. I don't, yeah. I don't know what the term. No, no, no. Is I'm for just it. saying. I'm just. I, but I get. Yeah. I totally get what you're saying because it mm-hmm. is that thing that it's very hard to sound interesting when you do that. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. Beyonce is one of the few people that can probably sing those types of melodies. Those very small. <laughs> Yeah. small up and down tiny movement melodies and you'll listen to it because for most other people it really does just sound like uh, boring you know? and it, but it, it's funny that it's become not funny it has become an art and it has become sort of a skill set that when deployed can be just as effective as you know more yeah. mo- traditional melodic rb like we were talked about jasmine sullivan She's also doing that. You know what I mean? Um, and, and Rihanna, she's a lot better at it now than she was in 2010 or whatever. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's it's a thing now that like it, because there's like a point of view. It's like it's expected and, and it's been around so you can refine it and and and, and work that out. But yeah. um, I think there's just, th- you know, there's there just is, certain, there's just certain artists yeah. who excel at it, who can sell, who can really sell that style of singing. Mm-hmm. Um but at the same time, like Rihanna, I never want to hear Rihanna sing a melody. Actually, <laughs> I d- I did like some of her, you know, like diamonds. But that's um, a, but even that is a very specific oddball. Yeah. Well, it's Sia, especially because it. it's a Sia song. I think it suits mm-hmm. it uniquely suits Rihanna's voice. But like, yeah, I'm talking about um, "Take a Bow," that garbage song. Oh. <laughs> um, all the all the songs where Rihanna just fancied herself like Mariah Carey. Trying to sing. Listen to Mar- I listened to Rihanna cover uh, "Hero" at her Barbados. Oh like that's but th- that's the one that like show. got her noticed though, right? Or Good something. God. It's like- <laughs> <laughs> I know. Every time they, I remember when she first came out, and they were like, "This is you know," she won her talent competition by singing "Hero." They were like, "This is the next it, Beyonce," like, wow, and I'm like, "Are wow. you crazy? <laughs> no, no, no." Rihanna, um, human saxophone. Anyway. <laughs> Well, so, so Dirty Talk comes out, you know, it's, it's a success for her. She's, she's traveling, you know, she's doing all this stuff. 
What I find really interesting because it it wasn't talked about in the moment. You can only you know now, or in in more recent years, um, Diana's talked about it. She was really struggling at this time personally and as an artist because. As she describes it, she was very good at EDM. She was very good at dance music, but it was not the music that she wanted to be releasing. But she struggled with her label because it was successful. Mm -hmm. That's all they wanted her to do. And she talks about how when she got signed, you know, when she was signed back when she was writing that song, like the Mary J. Blige song, the songs that she had in her back pocket or the songs that she had in her queue sort of, at that time were songs about black power and black pride. Um, they were songs about her family, her relationship with her father, who, um, as we'll talk about, like had, she'd met him once, you know, like she just, just like very personal songs and, and they didn't want any of it. They just wanted her to do pop and dance. Right. Mm-hmm. And she talks about how she'd be on tour. She was, she was like touring the world making lots of money like she she you know we've never really i i found i found this fascinating because you don't really know like as a vocalist on a florida song for example mm-hmm. if you have a club date and you go and you sing the song like well like what is the what is the vocalist take home for a night's work versus like the dj the producer or whatever and she was saying you know usually at least it'd be like she'd take home 20 grand a night wow and <laughs> you know she i mean it was you know she she had grown up in poverty mm-hmm. and she really struggled with making that kind of money because she felt like she was a fake and a fraud. Like she, she almost felt like she didn't earn that money because she didn't like doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, she, it was again, it wasn't the music she wanted to do. She wanted to be like Whitney or Mariah. She says um, she had en- envisioned herself more of like an R and B or like just like a songwriter and a singer um, this just wasn't her her thing. And she really, really struggled. She felt like a failure almost because she wasn't able, like she was just performing for other people and like had to kind of put on this whole thing. She talks about during, during um, you know, I mentioned when she did Dirty Talk that like she had no real sexual experience. And so they kind of, you know, just looked up a lot of different lyrics or things that they could put in. Mm-hmm. She talks about how like, for that album shoot and for all the videos, they they gave they like styled her in wigs and leotards, but she has she was coming out of like a very sort of not sheltered childhood, but a very strict childhood, very strict like Christian childhood, and and she calls it a Christian cult. So I'm not sure what you know specific. <laughs> if she was being facetious or if she was being like yeah well she says you know she was she was not a lot her mom so so her dad left when they were young and left the mom with six kids and she said very early on it felt to her and her sister to like raise basically all of her siblings and so it was very hard they had no money but like her mom was also very strict and they couldn't listen to any secular music and so they could only listen to christian music and and we'll talk about like how that affects her like down the road and some of her influences. But by the time she's doing like, yes, yeah, she's working these jobs. And it's funny because like you read these articles and they're like, you know, Winter Gordon got her start, you know, while working at a strip club. But like you dig into it and she's like, I was working as a coat check girl, like in the club next to the strip club. But it gets condensed down to like, they don't say like working in a strip club because it's like, 
Because it's like, what does that mean? Was she a stripper? Mm-hmm. Like, was she a bartender? Like, what was she doing? But that's like not, not, none of it, right? And she really wasn't worldly. Like, she was able to write these songs. She had this skill set, but like, didn't have a lot of experience. And so like, when they styled her for Dirty Talk, like, she's like, I didn't, like, I was basically, I'm, t- I'm, I'm singing a song called Dirty Talk. She's like, I was still a virgin. Like, I... I, you know, like I didn't know, I didn't even know what I liked. I didn't know what kind of makeup I liked. I didn't know how to dress up. So they did all of this stuff for me and basically shoved me out on stage. And I performed it as this person that like, wasn't me and I was good at it. And I, I loved, I mean, it was, I kind of stuck with it because it was popular, but like, it wasn't what she wanted to do, but she also like, didn't feel like she had the validation to like pursue anything that she did want to do. You know, mm-hmm. it's very interesting. And she talks about how, you know, like, again, being on tour dates, just touring the world, singing these songs in clubs. And she was straight edge. So she didn't drink at all. And she didn't, she didn't, um, you know, do any drugs. And she'd be performing at these clubs for like, she'd be there at like five in the morning and everyone's high or drunk. And she was just like, it's miserable. Like, it's exhausting. Because <laughs> um, that just, she didn't relate to that life at all. So in 2012, she, you know, sort of as a way, because like she was struggling with, with Atlantic, they, they didn't want to support her doing anything else besides dance music. So with the money that she was making on these tour dates, she self finances, um, a series of EPs called the human condition. And she, she, she writes, she produces, she releases all of this stuff. Um, and this is the kind of music that she says she'd always wanted to make. Like people were surprised because, um, you know, they knew her as a dance artist mm-hmm. and she was, she basically was saying, look, the music I'm making now is the music I've always made. I've just never been able to release it on a label. And, you know, she was growing, she says, I was growing into this person I am now and I had to make the music that felt right and was passionate about, you know, I didn't feel like I was singing everything I wanted to sing, doing dance music and pop music. I just wanted to make something that felt real to me. And, you know, these EPs include every genre of music I like. Um, you know, I just really felt like I had to by myself. She had to do it by herself. So she she puts these together. And I couldn't find them at first because, again, she did it as an independent artist. Um, so they're not on her Spotify. But you can, her SoundCloud is still available. And um, the first single from the Human Condition was uh, the the was the song called Stimella, and it's a it's oh a, it's, is that how you pronounce that? Okay, yeah, Stimella. Um, it was, I was like Stime by, L.A. <laughs> no, it was inspired by Hugh Masakela's anti-apartheid song of the same name. Okay, the chorus is in Zulu, and it has like a lot of African pop kind of production it feels very like 80s phil collins or genesis Mm -hmm. i heard this i was like this is beautiful i loved it and i had never heard it and she talks about how you know she she goes and she self-funds this and she's trying to put this music out she has no label support because they won't you know if it's not dance music they don't want to touch it and she's like i didn't know anything i didn't know how to style myself i didn't know how to do my own makeup i didn't know how to do any of this stuff or like who I was and how I wanted to present myself as an artist. I just didn't have any support. And she was struggling to try and like put together a team that would, that, um, 
you know, got her really and would like help, you know, put this together. So she does this and she's like, you know, I, the reason like we don't know it really is because she didn't know how to really release this stuff. So it's on YouTube. She had released it to YouTube. She put it on SoundCloud. She put it on Bandcamp. But like, as she said, she's like, that's no way to promote yourself as an artist. Like if you don't have like, if you're not super savvy, like it just gets, doesn't get heard. And so, you know, it, it kind of, it doesn't really do anything. Mm-hmm. And so she sits down with her. She, she tells a story about how like she sat down with the Atlantic label president um, at like on a, at a new year's party. And she just had this conversation back and forth, back and forth where eventually he agreed to let her out of her contract, which it's, it's kind of crazy. Cause you know, we've talked about how like other artists at the time, like they cannot get out of their contracts. Right. Yeah. So it's just kind of incredible that like she pushed and pushed and pushed. Cause she was talking about like how she, she didn't want to be making, she didn't want to go down the path that they had chosen for her. And he let her out, which I'm just kind of blown away by, honestly. She says that he told her, like, you got in your own way. You're being difficult and you're going to ruin your career. And that really stuck with her. And, you know, the fact that when she did release something on her own, it, you know, it it didn't get, it didn't achieve the, the level of success as the stuff that, you know, she didn't consider to be hers, the dance music. It really it really messed with her and she was kind of in a dark place and she just suffered from like just a lack of, of confidence. Um, and, and just, you know, didn't know where she was as an artist. Yeah. Well, I imagine like as an artist, even when she was signed to Atlantic, I don't think that she ever had a huge platform. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Even with the backing of a major label. So then to go out on your own, like without the machine behind you, your platform becomes that much smaller, Mm -hmm. which is where I feel like if you're someone that has a huge following, like an enormous following, you know, Mm -hmm. something like a Beyonce type of following. Yeah. Like you can strike out on your own. You don't need the, the machine behind you to kind of like, you know, fluff you up, you know, with marketing and promotions and whatnot. But yeah, like if you're a small fish in a big sea, and then you have to do it all yourself. It's like, I think, you know, your results are going to be that much smaller. Yeah. Um, it's going to be that and, much harder yeah. just to get anyone to pick up on any of your stories. The only way that I know about anything that Winter Gordon did after, honestly, okay, when when she did Sugar with Flo Rida, she had a, a single pop song that came out on Atlantic called Surveillance. Mm-hmm. That song disappears you can't find it anywhere. You can find it on YouTube. Um, everything after that, I only know from the blog that grape juice. Cause that dude mm. is a fan. Yeah. 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 You know? Yeah. Well, and I can't even really go to that grape juice because if you're on that site, no, it's a crash your computer. Oh, you better open. Yeah. Your, your browser, your Chrome will just overheat. So many things running on that. Oh, <laughs> uh, anyway. So yeah, I, I mean, I could, so I could see that, that like to walk away from, you know, a major label deal, granted a major label deal that was not serving you in the Mm -hmm. way that you wanted your career to be served. Yeah. It's gotta be frightening. And then to, to, to see the results that come out of that, I imagine have to be pretty frightening to face. Yeah. Yeah. And, and just, she just didn't feel like she had any sort of, there was no proof to her Mm -hmm. that she as an artist was actually good at what she did and that she deserved any kind of anything. 
because yeah. it just wasn't it wasn't panning out. Um, it must be really sad when you write a bullshit song using dirty lyrics you googled. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. like the biggest thing you ever did. And she talks about that. She's like, it's crazy to me. She's like, I will sometimes look it up. And she's like, it blows my mind. She like laughs about it. She's like, it blows my mind that that song is still like, people identify me as that. And like, that's not me. And yet when I put who I am out there, nobody's there for it. Or like, they don't know, you know? And mm-hmm. she didn't have a way of like letting people know like who she really is. And it like, it, it really messed with her um, to the point where like she had to leave. <laughs> she had to leave New York. She, she ended up just kind of picking up and moving to LA to sort of just start over mm-hmm. um, because she, her, her therapists eventually were just like, you have like PTSD, like just from, from yeah. just the amount of dissatisfaction and also just like the trauma of her childhood. Like, um, you know, just, she talks about being traumatized by like being poor Mm-hmm. And like, what an incredible, like, you know, we talk about that now. I think there's, there's more of a, a national conversation going on about like how traumatic, how hard it is to be poor and what that does to you, um, what poverty does to you and, and, and your feeling of self-worth and what you think that you can achieve. And, you know, y- you know, she really struggled with that and, and, and just kind of this feeling that like she was never going to escape that and, and all of these things. And so, you know, she, she, she moves to LA and here's where some of this sort of like serendipity and all this other stuff comes out. So this is, this is like what, 2012, 2013. And, um, she's still like, she's still writing music. She's still, you know, writing music for other people. Uh, uh, she, she did, um, she did the song clouds for Travis Garland. And I, you know, I, the reason I bring it up is I just think it's funny because Travis Garland, um, is Aubrey O'Day's ex-boyfriend. Was. Yes. So to bring it back full circle to like Danity Kane, um, I just think it's funny because I actually like the song Clouds. Um, I think it's a good song. Uh, and and it, it is one of those things where if you listen to a lot of these songs, like it's crazy and it's heartbreaking to me to hear someone like Winter Gordon think that she doesn't have it or at the time like think she doesn't have it because like her songwriting is good. She's an amazing pop songwriter, right? Mm. So this all comes back to where at, you know, you mentioned Beyonce. So <laughs> Beyonce here's somehow gets a hold. Someone introduces her to this artist, Mellow X, who was a Brooklyn based artist who had like done some unauthorized remixes of her self-titled album off of her self-titled album. She ends up liking it and gets in contact with him and asks him to produce some of the, and collaborate on her on the run tour with Jay-Z. So he starts doing some of this, like kind of plucked from obscurity. He was just like working in his bedroom, you know, doing these remixes and then Beyonce hears his shit. Um, he goes on to do the on the run tour. She then taps him when she's starting to put together stuff for the lemonade album. And she hears some, some of the songs that he'd been working on. And one of them was the song, sorry, which he had actually written with Diana Gordon back when they were in New York, many years before it was just like something they had done kind of a dance hall song. She really, Beyonce really likes it she ends up putting it on her album, like working with them, puts it on her album. Mm -hmm. Also 
you know, be, through that, she she gets, you know, she and Diana start working on some other things. They end up, the three of them, uh, well, sorry, Diana, Beyonce, and Jack White end up doing Don't Hurt Yourself, another excellent song from that album, and Daddy Lessons, the country Zedico song. What's interesting about Sorry is that um, Diana actually wrote the line, Becky with the good hair. Better call Becky with the good hair. That was hers. <laughs> um, so I just think it's really funny, you know, because here's this, you know, she's been toiling, 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 and a lot of it is hard work, but also you just don't know when someone that you've, something that you've done like years before that you've stopped thinking about is going to get picked up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you talk about Beyonce and her platform. Like one of the things about Beyonce that especially in, and and hopefully we'll talk about this in a, in a future episode, but just the Beyonce machine, you know, obviously like Beyonce is kind of at the top and she's like the figurehead of it, but like, she really does have this history of pulling like artists in from either kind of obscurity or from other maybe lesser known corners of the music world Mm -hmm. and giving them this platform, you know, to, to work with her and then sort of establish themselves in their own right. What ends up happening with Mel X is, um, in addition to helping to produce some of these songs or write these songs, he does the sound, uh, what do you call it? It's called the sound design for the lemonade visual album which I thought was really cool. And also he was talking about um, she hired him to do the sound design and production for the, f- the lemonade tour mm-hmm. and the formation tour. And I had never thought about this, but like, you know, when you go to a pop concert, like a big, like a big major artist pop concert, mm-hmm. and they've got all those like interstitial videos that have like maybe remixes of the songs that you like, but they're yeah, yeah, yeah. completely different. That's what he was doing. Okay. She hired him to do that. Cause I always wondered like, where does that come from? Like who puts that together and who puts those visuals together? And he was talking about how like, you know, well, you know, we, we look at the songs that like Beyonce is not going to perform and we figure out, well, how can we add them to sort of the overall experience so that you can hear them for the first time in like a new way. And they're still a part of the show, even if she's not performing them. And so like now he's, he's doing all this, which is just insane to me. I'm like, Oh, that's a job. Like, that's like a, what a cool job. <laughs> like, um, but you know, Lemonade is a huge hit. I mean, well, it's it's it it's it's got a lot of cultural clout. It goes on to be nominated for all kinds of Grammys. And so the three songs, Don't Hurt Yourself, Sorry, and Daddy Lessons, they were all nominated as, you know, for Grammys. So so Diana Gordon goes from like being sort of feeling like she has nothing mm-hmm. to having three credits on one of the most critically acclaimed <laughs> albums. Not just of that year, but of many years, right? Like mm-hmm. it, it, it just—it's huge. The experience helped her get to the point where she felt validated, where she could like look at what she did, and you know, writing from her experience and like doing, following kind of the creative influences and instincts that she had. They were being validated, right? Mm-hmm. And she was able able to finally like kind of sit in that and recognize that. What's interesting, you know, she talks about how, you know. I think this is funny because we've talked about, you know, the Grammys and like whether they're a sham or not. And like, you know, spoiler we, alert, we, they we, are we, just kidding. Well, well, <laughs> we talked specifically about how, you know, lemonade was like probably the most critically acclaimed album that year that it was nominated. Um, it was fully expected to win album of the year. And we talked about how Beyonce like always gets like the lesser, the quote unquote, the niche sort of uh, awards and not the big awards. Mm-hmm. And this is the award where the year where 
you know, Beyonce performed. She was fully pregnant and like looked like a goddess up there, like at the or the Virgin Mary. Remember their big headdress and like she was fully glowing, performing like super pregnant. She I was believe. pregnant that year. I believe she was. I thought she was pregnant. I thought she was four. pregnant with the twins. Oh, she was. Wait, she, had, she has three kids. She, she gave birth. Ivy. She gave birth to all of her children. Yes, she had twins. Oh wait, she was oh wait, am I confusing her with Kim Kardashian? Yes. Oh, Kim Kardashian had a surrogate. How dare you? I don't How know. Was Beyonce you? ever pregnant? Allegedly. <laughs> okay, look. This is not that podcast. We're not that. Po- I, this is that podcast where we where we wonder aloud if Beyonce's stomach really folded in on itself when she sat down during that pregnancy interview. Barry, for someone who does not want to be doxxed, you are playing with fire, my friend. <laughs> I will say nothing. I kid. I, love I you, kid. Be, I love you. You just got. I don't. I don't. I. I don't know what happens to a pregnant stomach when you sit down. Maybe it folds <laughs> anyway, over. Anyway. <on> <laughs> anyway, Beyonce famously loses to Adele, and Adele goes up on stage and she like is apologizing to Beyonce for winning in much the same way that like Billie Eilish this year apologizes to Megan The Stallion for winning because she's like, "This is yours." It's. It's. You know, people are like it's kind of this history of <laughs> of this kind of thing happening, but. What we don't talk about is the effect that that kind of loss or or something like that can have on the collaborators mm-hmm. and how devastating that can be. Like, you know, we can laugh about Beyonce and be like, well, you know, she's rich or she's, you know, she's Beyonce. Like, who cares? For someone like Tahana Gordon, she was devastated, right? Like, this was like, she's finally like, she's like, oh my God, like three songs that I've written are on like are not just that they're on like the most critically acclaimed album, but it's like Beyonce did them. And they're like probably three of the best songs from that album. Honestly, mm-hmm. um, not a controversial opinion. Um, <laughs> not like all of my Beyonce opinions. Sorry. Well, until you've seen lemonade, <laughs> we'll talk about that later, Ugh. but you know, she was ready. She says they were all there and they were like, look, we fully expected her to be up there. And like, we're all sitting there. We're all holding hands. We're waiting for the name to be released. And we're like, finally, we're going to get this recognition and our careers are just going to go to the next level. And then she loses. Mm -hmm. And she was like, they had a party after she couldn't bring herself to go. And Mm. she just like went home and went to sleep because it just felt to her like people are still not going to know who I am. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. like it's, they're still not going to, and she really struggled. And I, you know, just listening to that really kind of broke my heart and made me realize that like, yeah, like how many people, you know, like we talk about the Grammys, like, are they, do they mean anything? But like for people who like don't have the platform, they a hundred percent do. It'll, it opens doors for them. And when something like that happens, it's not just the main artist, you know, that that's affected. It's like, everyone down the line and it affects like, you know, their ability to like continue working in the industry and like who mm-hmm. they're able to access and, and what they're able to do. So, you know, she, she doesn't win that, but again, still writing, still appearing in even higher profile things because she was able to, you know, even though they didn't win, uh, it did give her more of a platform. So she ended up writing tension for Fergie on the double Duchess. I don't know if you know that song. Yeah. I think we mentioned it on I the think Fergie we did episode. as well. I think we did as well. I actually like that song. Um, this song is great. Yeah, yeah. Tension, so Diana, great, mu- Diana great music Gordon. video. Great visual Thank- album from uh, Stacey Ann Ferguson. <laughs> um, Asian, so, so, it's an Asian girl skate, skateboarding down a, a hill. I don't, I don't remember the video. I don't remember. The, oh, I do. I do. I and do. Then she like, I think she scrubs at the end. 
Um, so she did, you know, bringing another callback back to a previous episode. She wrote The Kids Are All Right by Chloe and Holly, which I'm not sure if you know that song. Are, are you even familiar with Chloe and Holly? I am familiar. I am not familiar with the song. But mm, it's a pretty song. I really it's 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 I like the song from that album. Um you know, I'm I'm not sure. I'm assuming that like the reason she the way she got connected was through Beyonce. Because mm-hmm. Chloe and Halle are like a um their mentor, they're on Beyonce's label. Okay. And they they're there's a similar sort of vibe. You can tell there's like there's the mentorship, the artistic development side of that is is very Beyonce. Um, but very Beyonce phase two or phase three, maybe at this point, but okay. more latter day Beyonce than like Beyonce. destiny's child Beyonce, right? Like in terms of artist development, the church of latter day Beyonce's, <laughs> um, that song is really good. Um, another interesting song that she, that she wrote or had a hand in writing was electricity, which is a Dua Lipa song from 2018. It's a fun song. Um, it was produced and written, um, by silk or with silk city and silk city is mark ronson and diplo's sort of side project everyone has these little side projects but apparently so earlier that year diana had worked with florence welsh of florence and the machine on this song it didn't end up working out like florence i guess had recorded a demo and 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 some lyrics but like they didn't end up using it. And so they, they kind of just threw the whole thing in the trash. Well, they threw Florence's part all in the trash. <laughs> um, what ended up happening was they brought in Rami, Rami. I never know how to pronounce her name. Romy from um, the XX, you know, there's Jamie XX and there's like Romy XX. No, but okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the Keep XX, mm-hmm. she wrote new lyrics to the melody line that Diana had written. Okay. And so then it was really, and then, so then that was then given and do a leap sang the eventual track but following you know diana's melody line and these new lyrics so it underwent Um, several genetic mutations yeah from its origins okay Mm -hmm. but um that's a fun song that was 2018 it was really fun um and then she also did a guest vocal on mark ronson's um so mark ronson had a album a couple years ago called late night feelings Mm -hmm. and it was kind of like sad dance songs um I, I there were some good songs on that, but she she did the song Why Hide. Yeah. So she's been, you know, kind of around. What I think is really well, there's a lot of interesting things. It's just you wouldn't necessarily expect what she does next. Based on the kind of music that she writes, what Diana Gordon ends up doing in 2018 is she releases an EP called Pure. And this is her most personal effort, her most personal album. Um, it's written about her childhood and family relationships as a way to start the conversation about who she is and what's important to her and the music she wants to make. She talks about how, you know, a lot of times as an artist, if you have a huge hit song, every interview is about that song mm-hmm. or it's about like the sound of that song. And if you never have another hit song, you never get a chance for people to get to know who you actually are. It's like, oh, so, did you wait? Sorry, did you watch SNL hmm. this weekend and Bo and Yang? No, oh. I mean, I mean to today. I will today, and so don't talk about it. There is a, there is. I really want to watch. There's it. a skit where Bo and Yang plays the iceberg from Titanic, getting I interviewed by I Colin Jost, and it's <laughs> it's exactly that thing of like he's like, oh, I was told that I wouldn't be asked about the Titanic. I just want to talk about my new album. <laughs> okay, I can't wait. I'm gonna listen to it after this podcast because I, I, I saw the teaser for it and I was like, I don't, I, I really want to watch this episode. Um, so, you know. 
And that's very true, right? We, we talk about that. I mean, so much of the so much of our podcast is is about uh, you know our misconceptions or preconceived notions we have about these artists that you know with the benefit of time and additional interviews or additional context, we're able to sort of go back and really understand what was going on. But, you know, how much that, like, if that doesn't exist, you don't know who they are. And so she took this opportunity to really write this music as, as a way, you know, absent other, other content that was out there to like really reintroduce herself basically and have that conversation about who she is. Um, and I mentioned also that, changing know, this, her performing name around this time as well. Right? She, 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 she finally, she decides to come out and, and release music as Diana Gordon and to be comfortable with that as who she is and not this other person. Right. And, and, and really be the one to kind of own her story. And it's really interesting because, you know, we know her as a pop songwriter. I just mentioned a lot of really pop, really good pop songs. I mean, even with like the Beyonce's stuff, it's still, um, well, it's Beyonce's that lemonade's kind of an interesting album. It's arty. It's artsy. Yeah. 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 Diana. So she grew up in a house where, as I mentioned, secular music wasn't allowed. Um, she was able to listen to Christian music. And so one of the artists that she really enjoyed as a teenager was jars of clay. Okay. They were this alternative music band, like the alternative Christian music band. I was very familiar with them. Like all my friends in like church loved them. They had some good songs. They snuck that shit into alternative radio. Oh yeah. Oh, and yeah. then you're listening well, to they and you're wrote like, it. Wait, in, wait a second. You're, well, they wrote it in kind of ambiguous in, in the way that a lot of uh Christian alternative bands, mm-hmm. I will say, kind of write ambiguously so that it is Christian, but like it can slide across genres. Yeah. It's like Baby and Baby she, by Amy Grant. <laughs> it's about Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, the most famous baby of all <laughs> I want you to write a Christmas song called Baby Baby the most famous baby of all and it's a, <laughs> Jesus um, you know but she talks about how like you know she because they were written ambiguously like she would listen to Jars of Clay songs and think about them being about her or something like that like love songs Um but also she had some friends who were really into alternative music. And so her primary influences, which I did not expect, were Alanis Morissette, Sarah McLaughlin. Um, you listen to some of her music, the way she does some of her vocals in the pure EP and then in her most recent album, which came out last year called Wasted Youth, there's like kind of like a Dolores Riordan, like the Cranberries sort of vibe to her vocal. On some of these things, and and um, like Natalie Merchant, or Natalie, yeah, Natalie Merchant, the Ten Thousand Maniacs, like that, like mid nineties female alternative singer. There's like that catch and that kind of. It's not a warble. I don't know how to describe it. Like, what do you describe Alanis Morissette's voice as? It's like, it kind of fluctuates between full and falsetto, and like, but it's like a flat. It's almost like a ribbon. That's like kind of trying to think of Alanis Morissette's voice now. Like if you think of Alanis Morissette in Uninvited, um, the, you know, the song um, from. I always the, think of Alanis Morissette as having like a mumbly, like a mumbly, crunchy, like a mumbly, well, crunchy did, well, country get, voice. Well, but she does that. <laughs> like, a, you know, that, that that I'm not um, familiar with. <laughs> what song was that? I don't know how to, de- I don't know how to describe it. It's like a. I, I mean, it's I like think it's of, like a it's like a falsetto thing uh, in the back of her throat. 
Oh, okay. I, like it, it, like she'll float between. It's like a falsetto and her full voice sort of smashed together. Okay. And I think of like the cranberries when she's like salvation, right? Um, okay. Um, it's not a yodel. <laughs> it is kind of a yodel though. But kind of, right? It's like Celtic sort of. There's like a Celticness to it. Okay. Very, you, <laughs> I don't know how to describe it. You know it when you hear it. Mm-hmm. It's definitely those ladies. It's very kind of almost, it's, it, it's just its own thing. And to hear it from someone who's, like that this is the music she's producing for herself that is like sort of like the true articulation of who she is versus like sugar mm-hmm. or, you know, even like some of the music that she did on, on the other, on uh, dirty talk or uh, till the music I di- with the music I die. Um, it's just fascinating. I mean, you know, there's a song um, that she released called a moment for myself. And it's it's like about taking a moment to recognize her worth and to feel good about her work as an artist. Like she's finally at that point where she can look at the stuff that she's done and be like, I'm proud of it. Mm-hmm. And this is me, you know? Um, she also talks about like, it's kind of shaking off the need, feeling to need the need to be humble, um, you know, because, you know, having helped raise her five brothers and sisters, she said she's she's always sort of puts herself in sort of the and if if you come from like a Christian background, you kind of understand this the servant idea like mm-hmm. of service and devotion to other people and sort of putting yourself last. and she's she's shaking that off a little bit and and you know, finding ways to to put more energy and effort into herself and to what she what she needs to 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 be successful and to feel good about herself. So that that song, a moment for myself, beautiful. There's her melodies are so beautiful to me. No, no matter what style of singing, whether or what style of music she's writing or performing, like her melodies are really beautiful. Um, in 2019, she also released the song "Becoming." It's a celebration track, and it talks about what she learned from Beyonce, like just just from that experience with Beyonce, like sticking to your vision. Um, you know, being you know being labeled difficult or a bitch or like you don't know anything. But like sticking to it is worth it because then you can produce something that like, you know, you're really proud of. Mm-hmm. Um, so so and and that that's and it's funny because we were talking about sort of the almost the rap singing, uh, the melodic rapping, and you know it's funny because like you attribute so much of you know being being an artist is that like you take the material that you're given. And you like really make it your own. And I think so much of like Lemonade and and some of Beyonce's more recent sort of, I, I think Lemonade had a lot of her best vocal work, like mm-hmm. uh, vocal performances. And sometimes you really just assume that that is just Beyonce. Like that's her, her, right? When you listen to Diana Gordon's song Becoming, and you then you realize also that like Diana Gordon wrote Don't Hurt Yourself, wrote Sorry, that also have that sort of rap and melodic rapping, you realize like it's also her. Mm-hmm. It's like, that's the way she sings. And so it's just really cool to be like, you know, it's it's just the way, like you really see her come through in that music and you see her being true to herself, not just in stuff that she's giving to other people, but like also for herself. And, um, you know, she's just happy now that she's making the kind of money that allows her to produce the kind of music that she wants. 
I mentioned like her her most recent album is called Wasted Youth. There's two tracks on it called Rollin. What Rollin? There's the studio version and then there's the acoustic Rollin acoustic version. And these are all going to be on the playlist that we put up. But um, it's just really interesting how like between the acoustic and the studio versions that she plays with her voice. Again, one feels more alternative. The other feels more like maybe like the um, more rock, mm-hmm. um, more more rock rappy. Like don't hurt yourself. Just very interesting. And she she mentioned in in another interview just. You talked about her voice and how sometimes she can sound very smooth and sometimes she can sound very, you know, whatever. And she talks about like she really struggled when she was younger in trying to like commit to a voice and being like, what do I sound like? Yeah. And 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 really like being afraid to commit too soon because she didn't want to be locked into a style of singing that like didn't feel like her own. And in the end, like in many ways she did. She sound she used this dance pop vocal mm-hmm. that, you know, she became you know, her signature for a while. And so now she's kind of taking that back. And it, I, you know, the music, it's not, it's not what I expected, but like really sitting with it and listening to some of it, like it's really interesting and it's really beautiful. And, and I find, I, I'm just very satisfied knowing this part of her story and just, you know, having more context and, and understanding where she's coming from. And also just going back and listening to the human nature EPs from 2012 and just seeing the through line, there really is a through line and I'm happy that that stuff is available. I'm happy that she's still producing and writing things. Uh, you know, it's it's it, she's worth listening to and she's worth getting to know as Diana Gordon, um, not just Winter Gordon. And that's kind of my, that's my thing about Diana. Awesome. <laughs> I was I was letting you finish because I think I over I think I step on your your dialogue a lot so. Oh, no, no, no. Okay. Uh, well, I don't know. Maybe. I, don't I do. Trust me, I do. <laughs> um, well done. While we were talking, I was actually looking up a tweet. Did I mention... Wait, was I? were we recording when I mentioned that Diana Gordon liked one of my tweets once? Yes. Oh, 2012. She liked one of my <laughs> tweets. I tweeted, um, sad there's so much amazing unreleased winter music music I can't get my hands on. Which I would shove the dollars music? directly into my computer. I think it was around the time that she had released um, Human Nature. Like, yeah, like her first mixtapes. Yeah. And yeah, I think I was yeah. hearing about them on that grape juice. And I was like, these are all really great songs. Like, I like I feel bad that I can't compensate her monetarily in some way because obviously she's not releasing any like yeah. licensed music through her label. No, so that's cool that I, I mean, I remember when Lemonade came out to see her name listed among the credits because, mm-hmm. you know, despite the fact that, you know, she didn't win a grant, the Grammy for that. Um, what is it? Brandy says almost doesn't count, you know, <laughs> yeah. but despite all that and despite the fact that, yeah, she probably would have gotten way more clout had those Grammys not gone to Adele. But like, you know, at the very end of the day, I think people knew that one Lemonade was like an important cultural an important cultural moment in music. Mm-hmm. You know, it was definitely like, you know, the continued ascension of Beyonce into like a, like an echelon of music that does not have to like appeal to anyone really. Yeah. It's really it's, just making music for artists, you know, as an artist. Yeah. Like, like art really. Statements. Yeah. It's not yeah. about appealing to a sound. It's it, like all the stuff that you were talking about winter struggling without throughout the beginnings of her career with, you know, defining a sound suddenly being, being defined by that sound mm-hmm. and, 
you know, struggling against that or growing past it, or maybe it was just a joke from the very beginning, you know? Yeah. It's, 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 it's nice to know that she was able to grow past all of that. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. The one thing that I mean, the one thing that I always found very perplexing, and I think why I always wanted one of us to cover Diana Gordon on this podcast is that she and Kesha both basically start out at the same point of a, like a very big collaboration with Flo Rida and mm-hmm. on the heels of that collaboration, only one of them really ever takes off. Like Kesha, you know, has like six, what is it? Like six number one singles after collaborating with Flo Rida and Winter Gordon at the time, Winter Gordon, like we never really heard another single from her after that. Yeah. It's interesting to hear the story about like why that potentially happens, because obviously maybe in contrast to what Winter Gordon did, you know, from the stories that we hear from Kesha's side of things now, it sounds like Kesha was much more, you know, for lack of a better word, like malleable mm-hmm. and was, you know, abused for that malleability, I guess. Yeah. Well, and I think that's the, the you know, the, it's, you know, there are some recurring themes that come up on our podcast. And as we, as we look at these different artists, certainly there's the theme about artistic freedom mm-hmm. for artists and like whether they have it or whether they don't have it. Um, there's that idea of like, just because they're good at something doesn't mean that that's what they wanted to do. Right. And, and, you know, uh, sometimes discounting artistic satisfaction versus commercial success. But I think the other thing that we, another, another, you know, recurring theme here is like the struggle that, you know, balancing pressure from your label to produce a certain kind of music Mm -hmm. versus being an independent artist and then not having a platform. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's like, you kind of figure out like, well, what's, what's the thing that's, that's going to net out? Like, should I just stay here? Because like, at least I can still, you maybe find an avenue to release this stuff, you know, down the road if I stay with the label or do I leave all of that and go do the thing that I want to do, but then have the chance that like no one ever hears it. It's the price of remaining artistically pure, I think. Yeah. And yeah. you know, what's and, and, and the, the, the shitty thing about that too is just, you know, a lot of these artists that we talk about, we're like, Oh, you know, we're, we're redeeming flops or like, you know, they seem to have disappeared. And like a lot of times, the more we dig into these, it's like, the lack of visibility does not mean that they weren't successful or they just stopped making music, you know? Doesn't the, doesn't just, the lack of just, visibility mean they weren't successful though? To a no, certain well, extent. I guess, no, I mean, I guess I mean in terms of the narrative, like mm-hmm. it's not like, it's not like, like you wanted to give Winter Gordon money for the music she was making, but there wasn't really a way of doing that. I mean, it's not that she wasn't, it not that she wasn't putting out stuff that she, that, that was, would have resonated. Yeah. There was just no structure, infrastructure to do that. And, you know, a lot of times the narrative then overtakes, right? That like, oh, maybe they just, maybe they just stopped making stuff or they're just done. But I, I, yeah, know? I think that that's central to what we're talking about mm-hmm. at all times is yeah. like, mm-hmm. these are all songs that at least one of us thinks is good. Mm-hmm. And so clearly there is an audience of at least one, yeah, possibly two. <laughs> for all <of> these songs <laughs> but you know you extrapolate that out and you think like well no like someone has to think this is good and there's mm-hmm. there's a lot of reasons that you don't hear music beyond the music being bad like there's so much gatekeeping on so many different levels between labels or you know radio stations or even just stuff like nowadays like getting your stuff featured on spotify like there are 
there are human people, you know, managing all those processes and and yeah. really guiding you towards what you're seeing. Even if you you know when you when you see a music video on YouTube, there's an algorithm that some human designed to pick up on some secret sauce, right? That's serving mm-hmm. you up the newest. What did I get recently? Machine Gun Kelly song, right? And you're like, why? Why? Like, I don't know why. Anyway, um, Winter Gordon, Diana Gordon, yeah, Diana Gordon, yeah. So check her out. All of the stuff will be on. You know, we get some streams going for her on our Spotify podcast, yes. uh, pod, uh, Spotify playlist. She's remained artistically <coughs> pure. Please reward her for it. Please reward yeah. reward us for remaining artistically pure because we make no money making this podcast so which which gives me the it it gives me the right to not edit out all of the garbage we talk about (laughs) at every moment of this podcast every moment we stand in solidarity with those who wish to remain artistically pure and um jason are we done we're done okay because i would also like to stand in solidarity with adam elder (laughs) yes who composed our theme music we stand with you adam Songs and videos featured in today's episode will be posted to our website, flopredeemer.com. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice. Check us out on social media at flopredeemer on Instagram and Twitter and at facebook.com flopredeemer. As always, email us at flopredeemer at gmail.com. Flop